When I was a kid, I'd get home from school or on Saturday morning, you know, it's time for the cartoons. One of the ones I'd watch, Scooby-Doo. Any of you remember that one? A few nods, yeah, you get a bunch of kids traveling around this old van solving crimes. Because, you know, it wouldn't be a ghost or a zombie or a vampire. No, it's usually it's old Mr. Johnson. And he said, I'd have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. In our entertainment, we love to see the bad folks getting a comeuppance, don't we? Maybe you're of the Lone Ranger days. And you like to see the bad cowboys, the cattle rustlers getting busted. Or maybe you like to sit and watch Matlock, where the unjustly accused person, their, their innocence is proclaimed, and the bad guy finally goes to jail. Even shows that might have an anti-hero. You know, sometimes there's those TV shows where the main protagonist really isn't that good a person. Sometimes can make for an interesting show, but periodically, you know, the end of the show, they get their comeuppance too. We need to see that. We want to see it. We want to know that good will triumph over evil. But unfortunately, in real life, it seems like they get away with it as often as not. I mean, we see all kinds of crime on the news. So much of it is going to remain forever unsolved. Last fall, FTX, a major cryptocurrency exchange, collapsed. It became apparent the leaders were ripping everybody off. They've been charged, but who knows what's going to happen. It's not like people are going to get their money back. We've heard about Epstein and his ilk. Sexual exploitation of minors. He was arrested, charged, hung himself. And funny, that client list has never been made public. And if you're as cynical as I am, you may have speculations as to why. It seems like people are getting away with it. People committing big crimes, getting away with it. And people committing small crimes, getting away with it. I was doing taxes yesterday, realized I could write off those catalytic converters I had stolen this last year. Only one of those thieves got busted. People getting away with stuff. Sometimes it makes you wonder if anybody's going to do anything about it. I'm looking around in here. I don't think any of y'all are going to be able to wear the Batman suit. I, I don't think the spandex and tights are going to suit any of us. I, maybe if we pulled all our money, we could buy a wheel for the Batmobile, but that's probably it. You know, vigilante justice just isn't going to work it. We're not that rich. We're not, you know, unless some of y'all are hiding it, I don't think we have any martial arts experts in here. That's not an answer. It seems like the authorities are powerless to act or just uninterested. And we wonder, is there ever going to be justice? Are these bad folks ever going to be caught Will they ever be punished? And that's really the cry. As long as people have been people, the strong have preyed on the weak, the wicked have vexed the righteous, and there has been that cry. When will there be justice? When will evil people pay for their evil deeds? And 
might say, well, you know, we have decent laws, decent you know, justice system. Folks, that is an aberration in human history. Only rarely throughout human history have bad folks ever really had to worry about getting caught. And we wonder, will there be justice? Israel was wondering this in the mid-600s before Christ. The empire of Assyria was running rampant. Their cruelty was legendary. Their neighbors were fearful. They had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They were threatening the southern kingdom of Judah. And Assyria's capital of Nineveh had already received one prophet from God about a century before. Jonah had come. He said, 30 days. You're going to be overturned. Well... They listened, they repented, God relented. They had revival. Made Jonah mad. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. But that revival didn't take. It was a temporary thing. Within a century, they were not just up to their old tricks again. They were going further than ever before. And so we come to another prophet who speaks of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire, the prophet of Nahum. As near as we can tell, Nahum was never sent to Nineveh. He didn't go there like Jonah did. He didn't go there at all. But he speaks about this wicked city likely to his fellow people of Judah. This isn't a prophet calling for repentance this time. If you have a prophet from God and he comes and he speaks, you're going to be destroyed and he's speaking to you. Well, there's an implication there. You can repent. You can turn. But now we get to Nahum and he's no longer speaking to the people who need to repent. He's just speaking about them. He got the job Jonah wanted. Jonah wanted to prophesy their doom, their destruction, and see it come. And instead, he got to prophesy their destruction and see revival. Nahum is simply saying, that's it. God has drawn the line. It has been too long. It has been too much. Now it's here. Nahum's mission wasn't to warn Assyria. They were past that. After a certain point, you ever dealt with somebody who's just all the way gone? You know, someone that you know, you know, you, you feel the need to try and warn them or to tell them, you know, they're doing wrong, whatever they're doing, they're doing isn't going to work, but they are just so far gone, you know, it just isn't going to help. You ever dealt with those folks? That's kind of where the Assyrians were. And you know, in the New Testament, Jesus at one point talks about casting pearls before swine. And we've debated what that means. And uh, the meaning I like best that I've heard is, well, sometimes you've dealt with somebody, you've tried to warn them, and you know every time you just bring up the things of Christ to them, they scoff. And so you're not actually, you know it's not going to go anywhere. They've had the opportunity. All you're doing is trotting Jesus out for them to deride him yet again. Why bother? So Nahum is here not to trot all this out, not to warn the people, not to say God's going to get you if you don't change. He's not talking to Assyria. His mission is to warn Judah. As near as we can tell, never went to the Assyrian Empire. Judah, however, was beginning their descent into idolatry, into wickedness. They needed to understand where that path led them. 
And so by preaching against this world empire who is on their way out, Nahum's job is to warn his fellow citizens. To say, here it is. The end is nigh. And if you don't, believe, if you don't behave, you're going to be just like them. You've heard me say before, a lot of times in the Bible, we see the message, don't be that guy. That's kind of what Nahum is saying. He's looking at his fellow citizens of Judah and pointing to the Assyrians and saying, look what's going to happen to them. Don't be like them. Because it might look like their behavior, their wickedness, their evil, their idolatry. It might look like it leads to power and to wealth. After all, they're sitting on top of the world right now. Nobody can tell them what to do. They're the most powerful nation, the wealthiest nation. But Nahum is telling his people, their actions lead to destruction. God's answer to the cry of will there be justice is a resounding yes. He may take his time, but wickedness will be punished. And this results in the salvation of the righteous. Because when God judges the evil, it means the righteous will be saved. You can't save the righteous while letting the evil run rampant. And Nahum's proclamation points to the coming righteous of God, righteousness, this, the coming righteous justice of God. See, Nineveh had heard about the wrath of God before. Jonah came. They listened. God had mercy upon them, and he receives the penitent sinner with gladness. When we turn to God and say, God, I've done wrong, forgive me, he will receive us. But sometimes that penitent sinner decides there's no consequences. Well, God didn't do anything to me. I guess I can do whatever I want. They return to their sin. And Nahum reminds people about the nature of God. You see, we talk a lot about God's mercy and God's love, and He is merciful, He is loving. But He is not only merciful, He's not only loving. And he opens his book by describing more about the nature of God. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces before him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and pursue his enemies into darkness. Friends, we have to keep in mind that nature of God. Yes, God is loving and merciful and kind. He is also jealous, holy, and wrathful. You might say, wait a minute. Jealousy? Jealousy isn't good. Well, friends, jealousy isn't necessarily bad. It can go to an extreme. It can go into bad places, but we have jealousy in our own relationships. And sometimes it ought to be there. If you have a spouse, you're probably jealous for that relationship. You don't want others intruding on it. I'm married. I love my wife. 
if she would come home to me and say, well, I'm going out tonight, but it's not with you. Some guy from work asked me out to dinner, and I'm going with him. I'm going to be a little jealous. I might be a little miffed at that dude. He might get a chance to find out how good his health insurance is. Because your preacher ain't entirely like Jesus, friends. <laughs> is there jealousy there? Yeah. I want her for myself. She has me for herself. We, you, you know, what, you think you own her? You got a pretty good lean on her. She got one on me too. We've had the paperwork. We signed it in this building. <laughs> Standing right here. Yeah. That, that, the nature of that relationship, it is exclusive and therefore there is jealousy. God is jealous for his people. He wants us to be his and his alone. He does not want to share us. Not with other gods, not with anything else. He wants to be first in our life. And yes, he is jealous. And holy. I mean, we don't understand holy. It's hard for us to understand holy because we are sinful. When you are steeped in sin, how can you understand holiness? If you grow up in a mud puddle, you can understand what it means to be clean. Same thing. God's making us holy. It's going to take our entire lives to get there. And wrathful. Man, that's a part of God that we don't really talk about much. I want to talk about the positive stuff. I mean, you, you know, if you read over this passage, you know, he's wrath for his enemies. Dries up the sea. Mountains quake before him. This is not stuff that Chris Tomlin or Hillsong is going to write about. No, we want to focus on the happy stuff. You know, if you watch the ball game, you see those he gets us ads. It's always focusing on the real gentle parts. But friends, God is not only gentle. And you have to have enough room in your mind to allow God to be God. And what that means is you need to let him be bigger than just the nice stuff. Because he, yes, does he receive the repentant sinner who comes back to him, who humbles themselves before him? Absolutely. Every time, praise him for it. None of us would be here otherwise. But for those who persist in their sin, who continually reject his pleadings, they are going to find that his holiness, his justice, demand punishment for sin. And because they have not accepted the sacrifice of Christ they shall feel that punishment themselves. Our God is a good God, and that means he is not going to stomach evil. We will repent of our sin, or we will be punished for it. Period, full stop. If we do not turn from our sin, it will be visited upon us. Nineveh went right back to their wicked ways. After Jonah was sitting on that hill grousing about the vine that gave him shade, he stomps off the stage right, time passes, Nineveh goes right back to doing what they were doing. And they even put their wicked ways to work on God's rebellious people. Yes, Israel had her punishment coming, but Assyria's ways were outright evil. A righteous God, even when he's chastising his wayward people, does it in love. He still loves those people. 
There's a difference between how a parent will discipline a wayward child and the discipline by that child will experience in the back alley when they've just said the wrong thing to the wrong dude. You know, the one with the thick neck and the one eyebrow. Very different ways of correction. One done in love. One done in pride and arrogance. But God is not without concern, even for sinners. He wants to see them corrected or punished, but he's going to do it properly. Human responses, meanwhile, tend to be excessive or exploitative. We throw the book at you. And then drop the bookcase on you just for good measure. And God is using Nahum to announce this judgment upon the nation of Assyria. We might wonder why God bothered saying anything. You're not preaching this in the streets of Nineveh. There's no second opportunity for, the, for repentance being offered. Like I said, this is the announcement Jonah wanted to make. You ever get along in your career and you just kind of wish you'd taken a different job? Sometimes I think the man, the guy with the wrecking ball is probably the job to have. I mean, how do you have a bad day with that one? What'd you do? Break, broke stuff. It was awesome. Good wages, union health care. I mean, hard to go wrong there. Man, Jonah wishes he had the message Nahum did. But this was bigger than Nineveh. God wanted this message to be heard, not in the streets of Nineveh, but in the streets of Jerusalem. Not by the people of Assyria, but by the people of Judah. Because they need to understand this. They may not be as wicked as Israel was, or as wicked as Assyria was, but they're following the same path. They're looking at the direction they're going, thinking, eh, that sounds pretty good. Maybe if we follow their gods, we can get somewhere. And they need to know that they have the same choice before them. They can repent now or they can suffer later. They're treading on thin ice. If they don't change their ways, they will share the same fate when they walk the same path. That's the message Nahum is bringing. And he brings a portrait of the coming punishment for Assyria. It's really not pretty here in chapter 3. It's very poetic. But it's not pretty. Woe to the bloody city. Fall full of lies and plunder. No end to the parade. The crack of the whip. Rumble of the wheel. Galloping horse and bounding chariot. Horsemen charging. Flashing sword and glittering spear. Hosts of slain. Heaps of corpses. Dead bodies without end. And they stumble over the bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute. Graceful and full of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. Portraits of violence, of death, of destruction. Like I said, it's put forth in a poetic manner. You know, you see, you hear the crack of the whip, you hear the wheels of the chariots rumble, and you see the war horses coming in, and the flashes of the swords, and you think, man, you know, this could be an action movie. And then you see the heaps of the bodies. So many slain people lying around, you can't walk for tripping over them. That's what's going to happen. And it's all for nothing. 
said they followed. And he describes it as the countless whorings of the prostitute. Man, the language that these prophets use to describe following sin really gets our attention. It's kind of out there. You're like, is the, this is the language we find in the Bible? Well, yeah. It's like I was saying to Daniel's father a few weeks ago, now that I'm in the minor prophets, I get to say the word whoring a lot more than ever before. Because that's how our sin is described when we, when we follow after things that are ungodly. They use this language that's even a little offensive to us. Because God wants us to understand what sin is like to him. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, everybody was in on it. Then nobody was harmed. God says, it offends me. And we ought to be afraid of offending the holiness of a just and righteous God. That language is expected to make an effect on us. If you're kind of taking a little bit of a shock, kind of getting a little bit of back of it, you're being taken aback of it, good. It's supposed to. And that's the deal with sin. Our actions gain us punishment, but they don't actually bring a benefit. The pleasure is fleeting, material gain, it evaporates, but the punishment is complete and eternal. Oh, it was fun, but the fun comes to an end. You may have amassed wealth, maybe even mountains of it. You may have been one of the richest people on the face of the earth, but you can't take it with you. That private island, that private jet won't help you. But the punishment will be there. Assyria was acting like she was the final authority, the strongest power. They would learn that they could not, be, they could not have been more wrong. See, we humans, when we start thinking we don't have to answer to others, we get into problems, becomes trouble. We're, you know, most of us humans are just a little tyrant waiting to happen, and we got to be careful. I would tell my ministry students, guys, when you are in ministry, you better make sure that you are in submission to those elders that you have. It might chafe you, it might annoy you, but, for, but I said, guys, you need to be told no, because we preach, we don't have, every, we are not the font of every great idea in the universe. Sometimes we will have ideas and they are not good ones. We may not know our people the way we think or we're not thinking it through. We're not, we don't have the same perspective. We need the elders sometimes to crack us upside the head and say, Preacher, no. Chill, dude. I'm grateful for that. Never feels good, but I'm grateful for that. I trust our elders. They're great guys. But I don't care. If you're in ministry at a small church, if you're a manager at a business, CEO of a huge business, the leader of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, I don't care where you are, if nobody ever gets to tell you no, you're going to start thinking, I can do whatever I want. Got so many examples of that in our own history, even in the Bible, even in the news. Happens all the time. And God tells us, you are accountable to me. We answer to him. 
Because Nahum says Assyria is not going to be saved, nor will they be mourned. I mean, it ends with a promise. I mean, the, the book, this book ends with, boy, they're going to enjoy your funeral. I've worked with a lot of people who've planned out their funerals, and you know, they pick out different songs, that type of thing. I'll be glad when people quit picking Elvis. I'm not from that era, folks, but, I mean, it's just weird to me. But you know what song I've never heard at a funeral, but would probably be at a serious funeral? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. They'd be glad when they're gone. And none of us want that to happen at our funerals, but that's really what happens when the wicked are judged, isn't it? The glee that they had at conquering others is going to be dwarfed by the happiness of others seeing that empire brought low. And they're happy because it means that Assyria's evil is at an end. Their neighbors will no longer fear. Historically, Assyria met their end at the hands of the Babylonians who were then followed by the Medo-Persian Empire. And I tell you, if you were going to be conquered by somebody, you'd rather be conquered by the Persians. The Assyrians, you really didn't want that to happen. You know, maybe if you saw the movie 300 and you're into like the Greek history, you're like, oh, the Persians, they're the villains. Hey, if I'm getting conquered by somebody, Persia, come on in. Because they tended to leave you alone. As long as you sent the tax money in, you were cool. Assyria wanted to destroy you as a people. And the demise of this nation would bring happiness because judgment on the wicked means salvation for the righteous. The predations of the evil are an end. The good folks have relief. And sometimes people say, oh, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God judge people? Folks, if a loving God doesn't, he's not that loving. If a righteous God doesn't, he's not that righteous. If a just God doesn't, he's not just. Because how can you save the righteous while allowing the wicked to run rampant? Because you know what it's like. You get those folks, they're always going to find a way to mess things up one way or the other. You cannot fence them in. You cannot just put them in their own little spot and let them do what they want. They will find a way to mess it up. Without judging the wicked, the righteous aren't saved. But friends, God is going to judge the wicked and save the righteous. In that, we will find justice. Nahum is pronouncing salvation for Judah here if they listen. He's saying, this nation that has troubled you is going to be wiped out. And if you repent and turn back to God, you'll enjoy his blessings. They won't just have some relief, they'll have actual relief if they repent. This wicked nation thought that their successes meant that they would not see any consequences. They repented, and that evaporated. At the time of Nahum, that wicked nation that needed to repent but didn't was called Assyria. Shortly after Nahum, it would be called Judah. And if we're not careful, it's going to be us. And I mean us personally. I don't even mean nations. I believe, yes, God still controls the fates of nations. I do believe God still 
gives times and places for empires to rise and fall. But friends, I think we got bigger concerns than the flags flying in Washington, D.C. Because, hey, the stars and stripes, it brings joy to my heart to see it, but it will not save me. No, it's not just about big crimes and big people. It's about normal folks and normal sins. God wants his people to be righteous. And he warns them again and again and again. He gives examples of what can happen. I mean, we have them. We've got them in the Bible. We've got them in history. We can see it. It's played out this way constantly. And that's why Nahum is speaking to the people around him because the message that he has for them is the message he would deliver to us this morning to be righteous. Our actions, friends, do matter. We need to treat others as we want to be treated. To put God first, to act with integrity and with honesty. We may not have experienced consequences, Assyrians thought, hey, nothing happened to us, we can keep doing what we want to do. Judah thought, nothing happened to us, we can do what we want to do. But sometimes our sins are just piling up until it's time. There's a retail store around here. One of the workers started a new job. She had access to the register. Started using that register as an ATM for her own purposes. Little bit for the store, little bit for me. She got away with it. She didn't realize that they were watching her closely. Little bit for the store, little bit for me. Weeks pass, months pass. She's getting away with it. What she didn't know is they were watching and they were keeping track. And the day the amount she took reached felony territory in the state of Missouri... They came and got her, and here were the police. Oh, there were consequences. She thought she was getting away with it. But they were just piling up. Friends, there's consequences. We think we're getting away with it, but they're just piling up. We wonder, what is God waiting for? Well, God's got his reasons, friends. We may not have experienced consequences yet. That doesn't mean there aren't any. You might think you're getting away with it. You're not. God sees and God will judge. And so, we need to repent and to serve Jesus. Now, Nahum never knew the name Jesus. He didn't really talk about the Messiah. but I think he'd have been glad to see it. I mean, in the New Testament, we, we discover most of these prophets, they, were, they wanted to know what God was doing. God didn't always tell them. And sometimes the ones that had a piece of the picture, they wanted to know more and they didn't. And it really kind of drove nuts. But I can only imagine if Nahum would have what we have. If he knew what we knew. He'd be looking at us saying, are you crazy? Why do you let it go, man? Repent, serve Jesus. You know, you know how this pans out. You know where this ends. 
Yes, we're going to make mistakes, but the mistakes aren't the end. It's a chance for us to change and to do right and to keep on following God. Because we know where the path of selfishness and self-indulgence leads. And it's not just destruction in the here and now, friends. It's destruction forevermore. How can somebody be be destroyed forever? Look, I'm not God. I'm not sure how he pulls that off, but I'm sure he can, and I don't want it to be me. Nahum's looking at the people around him in Judah and pointing over at Syria and saying, see them? Don't be that guy. And he's looking at us and saying, don't be that guy. And he looks toward Jesus and he says, follow that guy. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for you are great and holy. Lord, you've warned us. You give us examples. You send your prophets. And you continually tell us to be the people you want us to be. Lord, may your spirit shape us and mold us that we can truly be your people every way. Personally, privately, publicly, however. Lord, help us to follow you, to repent of our sin, to serve you fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.